0: Aren't you glad to be a part of the family of God? Well, I know I am. It's a blessing, a blessing of the Lord. I'd ask you to uh, follow along as we read Scripture verses today in Deuteronomy, the first chapter. Beginning with verse 6, right now we'll go back a little bit later, but in verse 6 to begin with, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn, take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites, to all their neighbors in Arabia, in the hill country and the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast and the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to their offspring after them. I want you to know God has given us the land. And the promised land simply means that we've come out of bondage into the wilderness. I want you to think about this this morning. The deliverance of Israel from Egypt is a picture of our salvation. Egypt represents the sin nature. And we've been delivered out of bondage. We were slaves in bondage to sin. And... I know that you know this. Sin is the toughest taskmaster you'll ever serve. Somebody once said, sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us longer than we want to stay, and costs us far more than what we're willing to pay. They were right at the edge of the promised land And Moses sent 12 spies. You remember the story? He sent 12 spies into the land and they returned. And 10 of them, 10 out of the 12, gave a discouraging report. Probably went something like this Oh, it's great. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Everything God said it was. It's luscious. It'd be very nice, but we have absolutely no chance of possessing the land. Ten of the spies. It's already occupied, they said, by heathen, and they're big, they're huge. They look like Hulk Hogan, and we're like little grasshoppers in their sight. Yeah. Their cities the ten spies said. Their cities are walled around with walls so thick, so wide, you could drive a chariot on top of them. However, there were the two other spies. Remember, there were twelve. The two other spies gave the minority report. They said, Well, you guys may see the giants But we're not looking at the giants. We're looking to God. And if He wants us to have the land, then it won't be any problem for us to possess it. Joshua and Caleb gave the minority report. But the people decided to follow the naysayers. Where did that get them? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nowhere. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, meandering in circles. They turned an 11-day trip into 40 years. Why? Because they listened to the naysayers to the people that told them there's no way we could possess this land. I know God said so, but there's just no way. How many of you ever heard anything like that? Oh, yeah, we hear it all the time. People say, I know God said, but... (laughs) Isn't that ridiculous? Really. If God said it, that settles it. We find in the Scripture that you see on the screen, Deuteronomy the first chapter and verse number 2 says it's 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Well, if it's 11 days, why did it take them 40 years wandering around in the wilderness? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And uh, as a matter of fact, I want you to know this. Yes, I know we're talking about something in the Old Testament, something that happened uh, thousands of years ago. We're talking about the deliverance out of Egypt into the promised land, and they didn't go ahead and cross over after they got there. They parked beside the river and then wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Yes, it's Old Testament. It's an Old Testament story. But I want you to see in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we want to look at that verse. Bring it up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Do you understand that The promised land is not heaven, regardless of what you've heard or or, or imagined. The promised land is not heaven, because there are no giants to drive out of heaven. There are no uh, things that you have to go in and possess in heaven. Am I right about that? Well, just like being freed from slavery in Egypt, is a picture of our salvation, freedom from bondage of sin, so is wandering around in the wilderness, a picture of a carnal Christian life. Going nowhere. Going around in circles. Oh yeah, we're saved. Living in victory? No, I don't think so not maturing, just coasting through life without any idea of how to possess the promises of God. See, the promised land is everything that God has promised to us in His Word. That's the promised land. And I don't like to see people wandering around in the wilderness not possessing what God has already provided. You understand? He said, go in and possess the land. And they wandered around in the wilderness. And I can imagine many people in the church today, perpetual babies, never graduating from milk, crying out to Papa only when something goes wrong, when they need something never coming of age spiritually to the place of real responsibility in this Christian walk. Now, I want to follow up with that a little bit. Forty years later, after what we've just been reading, forty years later, that rebellious generation died off And now there was a new generation that marched head on into the promised land to possess it. That's the place where I believe that we are today. We're going on ahead. We're reaching toward the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're we're possessing the promises that God has already given us. Canaan is a picture of the victorious Christian life, possessing the land. It's not heaven. Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land, was he? Because he disobeyed. But Moses is going to be in heaven someday. Don't you believe that? So heaven is not the promised land. He was not allowed to go into the promised land, and the promised land is not only a geographical area, but the promised land is for us today, given as that as our example today, is entering into all of the promises that God has ever promised us. Oh, there are many. You ought to go through that sometime and just read about all of the promises that God gave to us. We're growing in grace. We're maturing spiritually. We're taking higher ground, gaining victories in life, gaining victory over sin, over the world, over our own flesh even, and certainly gaining victories daily over the devil. There are three types of people, and I want you to, Pay close attention to this because this is exactly what we're talking about today. There are three different types of people. Those that are still in slavery. Those that are wandering around in the wilderness. And those who are experiencing victory. And we all fall into one of those categories. Now see, I believe everybody in here, hopefully, everybody in here is born again, been delivered from Egypt. Not still in slavery, but there may be some still wandering around in the wilderness. Not experiencing any victory. Every person here today is in one of these categories. In the wilderness, we're saved, but we're not experiencing the promises of God. Been saved for years. But still really not digging into the Bible. Still not really praying every day. Still not tithing constantly, consistently. Still not making commitments to be faithful and to serve in the kingdom. Been saved for years, but never led one soul to Jesus Christ. Actually, I know people that are saved, born again, that are not much closer to God than they were the first day they got saved. Oh, they're going to heaven. But they're just wandering around in the wilderness. Can you see that? That's a picture of where a lot of the church is today. Now, that's not us. In Canaan, in the Promised Land, we're a church that's excited, growing having the joy of the Lord in our heart. Not wilderness wanderers, but giant conquerors. And I see that among our membership. And that's wonderful. There are three different types of churches. And I want you to see this. There are Egypt churches. Egypt churches are churches that don't preach salvation by grace. They are, as Jesus said, the blind leading the blind. You know what they are. Uh, They're more like a social club than a spiritual organization. Wilderness churches, on the other hand, are saved people that are going nowhere. Just going around in circles, going through the motions. They rarely see anybody get saved. People at the altar making decisions are rare, and they don't see or recognize the mighty moving of the Spirit of God among them. But still, they think they're okay because offerings are good, been able to make a lot of improvements. Someday we'll all go to heaven. Sure, there's sin in the church, but nobody's perfect. I hate to think what's going on in the privacy of many homes, but we won't talk about that. We just dress up shake our hands and have parties and eat and thank God we're saved. Not like this world that's going to hell in a handbasket. That's wilderness churches. But I thank God this is a promised land church. Canaan churches are much different from that. Canaan churches are where you walk in the door and you can feel the spirit of excitement. The joy of the Lord. The expectancy in the air. Church is growing. Decisions are being made. It's a pleasure to serve in those kind of churches. It's a pleasure to give and to work together as a team. I thank God I'm a part of the body of Christ, but more than that, I thank God I'm part of this body. The church that is possessing the promises of God. I don't want to look back years after some of you got saved and see you meandering and wandering in circles and not receiving the promises that God has given to us. The law never saved anyone and it never will. Moses' job was done. He died. The Lord selected Joshua, Moses' servant, to take the lead. This is a new generation. It's time for a new chapter. It's time for a new era to begin, new generation. And we're asked to step up to the plate and do our part in the kingdom of God. It's time for us to become all that God intended for us to become and to accomplish what He has set forth for us as a church body to accomplish. So, what's the plan, Stan? I'm glad you asked. I have an answer. The Bible shows us three different principles that are necessary into claiming Canaan land, the promises that God has given to us. First of all, what He said to us is that we have to be prepared. How are we going to be prepared? Well, Second 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one that's approved, a worker that doesn't have any need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Preparation means feeding on God's word until we're nourished to the place that we're able to possess the land. Here the children of Israel were getting ready to cross the swollen Jordan River, and it says, At this time of the year the Jordan always was overflowing its banks. You'd think in the natural, Joshua would have commanded to prepare a bridge or at least a boat. But instead, Joshua said, prepare lunch. <laughs> you got to have proper nourishment if you're going to fight. The army travels on its stomach. A hungry soldier never be able to fight very well. How do we feed ourselves spiritually? Well, it's more than just coming here on Sunday morning. Those people needed A diet change. They've had manna every day for forty years, and nobody ever came home to ask what's for supper because they already knew it's manna again. My dad lived through the Great Depression, and I remember he told me he had three meals a day, all during the Depression. For breakfast, he had cornmeal. For lunch, he had oatmeal. And for supper, he had no meal. They were only supposed to eat manna for about 11 days. Can you understand that? Think about it. We need to be winged off the sincere milk of the Word and start getting into some of the meat after a time, don't we? Sure, yeah, they were only supposed to eat manna for about 11 days. It should have been a heavenly appetizer before entering the land flowing with milk and honey where the grapes were huge, large, juicy grapes. Hmm. I remember in our children's church they did a Veggie Tales song, and I want to quote that to you. It says, we didn't have a lot of fun in the desert. We didn't have a lot of fun in the sand. So saddle up your cow and fall behind us now because we're going to the promised land. For years I've eaten nothing but manna, the dish that's filling but bland. But we're on our way. Now I'll have cheese souffle. Because we're headed to the promised land. The dining was lousy with Moses. But we'll be feasting with Josh in command. I'd like a taco please with some pintos and cheese. Because we're going to the promised land. Well, in the promised land it's going to be grand. We'll have our fill from the grill. As much as we can stand. It'll be great. Put waffles on my plate, because we're going to the promised land. That might be a trite little verse, a little song that for children. But if we're going to claim the promised land of Canaan, if we're going to possess the promises that God has given to us, we're going to have to change our diet. We're going to have to increase a little bit. And not just on Sunday morning, but dig into our Bible every day. God's Word is a feast. God has set before us a feast. But some people go all week long without eating, acting like they're not really hungry. I think probably today maybe somebody will push away from the table feeding on God's Word and go all week not to return again until next week to eat again. Now that's a shame. What we give you at church is not nearly enough. It's just supposed to be an appetizer. Like divine hors d'oeuvres. Just to make you hungry. To dig into God's Word. On your own all week. That's where religion becomes reality. Listen to me now. Because. When you aren't just being spoon fed. But you're digging in. To the Word of God for yourself obeying in every portion that you receive. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Somebody that has no need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. But instead of feasting on the Word of God, it seems like people today are filling up on everything else, the junk food that the world has to offer. Am I right? I mean, we're distracted by so many things and and becoming addicted to TV and movies and video games, computers and cell phones and all sorts of activities that don't have anything to do with the Word of God. And when you're full of all of that other, you have no room to feast on God's Word. I like what Pastor Gary said last week, that this week we should, I hope you did this, this week don't listen to anything except gospel music. And he gave us some different radio stations that, that play strictly gospel music. And you know what? Just that one week make a difference in a person's life. Because some of those songs that we hear are based strictly on the Word of God. And we take that in rather than what the world has to offer. You've heard this before, garbage in, garbage out. That's the way it works. We need to change our diet because we don't need to stuff ourselves full of things that are not good for us. Amen? Amen. And we're deceived into thinking that that satisfies us, but it's only temporary, and we'd be right back again hungry for more. You know, I think that's why. That's one reason why. And Pastor Gary has mentioned this before, but... I think that's one reason why we're losing our teenagers. After they graduate as a rule, that group of people are missing from the church. They're missing that whole demographic. Hopefully they'll return. After they experience a school of hard knocks. Y'all know what that is. Whenever the world finally gets their attention, or they have kids of their own that want to, they want to try to raise them better. God gave His children, the children of Israel, seven feasts to observe. And someday I hope we study that, but they didn't keep those feasts while they were in the wilderness. Think about this. They didn't keep those feasts for 40 years, not until they arrived in Canaan. Why is that? Because those feasts are celebrations. They had nothing to celebrate in the desert. I see churches, wilderness churches, that really don't have anything to celebrate. Are you here? See, that's why I'm happy to be a part of a Canaan church. A church that desires more from God. Desires to be closer to God. Desires the the strong meat of the Word. If you can imagine a father in the wilderness deciding he wanted to keep the feast of the Lord, all he has is manna, sitting on a hot rock, leaning against a cactus. Well, I can imagine the desert. Trying to feast, and his son says, Dad, what are you doing? I'm celebrating God's blessings. Son scratches his head, thinking, Man, all we've got is this dusty manna we pick up every morning. We're thirsty. We have nothing to celebrate. I'm going back to Egypt. Eh? Huh? Amen. Some of them did. That's what they said. See, we lose our kids when they see us come to church and act holy. But then they see us go home and wander in the wilderness. Uh Uh-oh. Amen. To them, our Christianity isn't real and exciting and vital and alive and productive. When they graduate from college, they say, If everything I've seen is all there is to the Christian life, then I'm going to check out what the world has to offer. And they do. Amen. That's why this wow every Sunday afternoon is so important. It's so essential to get our teenagers to see a Christian worldview. A mom and dad that really live the life and walk the walk throughout the week is worth far more than a library full of arguments over rules and curfews. We always heard the motto, do as I say, not do as I do. But that won't cut it anymore with our youth. They're beyond that. Can I tell you, you don't always get what you want, but you always get what you are. Now you have to think about that. We need a diet change. We need to have a feast on God's Word that's so bountifully placed in our laps. And we just need to partake of it. Let me apply all this to the church. If the church gets built up and blessed, it'll never be because of my preaching. It'll never be because of my good looks especially since I've ran out of both. <laughs> Any true growth, spiritual growth, will only be because of the Word of God that's given out week by week and throughout the week on our own when people are being fed spiritually. Pastor Gary's job is to lead and feed. Our job is to swallow and follow. We should take in all of the Word of God that's available to us, and it should make us so hungry for the good things of God that we'll dig in on our own. That's preparation. That's how we prepare to live a life of promises that God has given to us. Where are you? Wandering in the wilderness? Needing direction? You know, it's time we march forward and claim Canaan, the promises of God. The promised land is available to every individual. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Riding the fence somewhere between Egypt and Canaan is really a miserable place to be. Got one foot still in the world and the other one on the border of victory. My, my. Got enough of the world you still can't enjoy the things of God, and got enough of Jesus in you that you can't really enjoy the world. Amen. Stuck in the middle. Do nothing but meander around in misery. I call that being saved but not satisfied. Hallelujah. I want to be satisfied. Saved and satisfied. A certain man had been missing from church a whole lot, so the pastor went to visit him. And the guy explained to him, I'll tell you why I don't come. It's all this rain, every day, every day. It just rains every day. The pastor said, well, it's dry in the church. The man said, yeah, that's another reason I don't go. Thank God we're excited. Thank God we've got something to look forward to. Hallelujah. Say, I'm not dry. Hallelujah. I know you're not. The Bible shows us three principles that are necessities to claiming the promised land. The first one was preparation. The second one is equally as important is power. Philippians chapter 3, Paul, Paul the Apostle, the man that probably knew Jesus personally more than maybe anybody else around. Paul the Apostle said, Oh, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And that I can share in the fellowship of His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Resurrection power is explained in the Old Testament, talking about Jonah came out of the belly of a great fish after three days. And then it also says about that that Jesus came forth from the dead after three days. I don't think it's any coincidence at all that Joshua said, we're making our move in three days. Fill up. Take in some nourishment. Get ready. We're going to go and possess the promises. You see... First of all we have to prepare ourselves but then a part of the preparation is operating in the power of God. Our challenge today, this morning is to go to the next level spiritually with God. You can be just as close to God as you desire to be. No one is preventing that except you. Oh, the devil throws up things in your way to roadblocks. But it's not up to the devil. It's entirely up to you how close you want to be to our Lord. Immediately we recognize we don't have the willpower. We don't have the personal power, the ability to do Everything that we know is the right thing to do. We don't have the power in ourselves. You can't live the Christian life in your own strength. I mean, no, we need to plug into the real power source. Amen. Living in victory is not just your responsibility. You know, because... If you try all of this on your own, it'll never work. You don't have the power to do that. But it's not about our responsibility. It's about our response to His ability. Now you need to write that down. It's not our responsibility. It's about our response to His ability. If we respond properly to His ability... We can have all of the power of his resurrection. And boy, I'm going to tell you, that's a mighty power. Greater than the power of God's creation and this whole universe, I mean as unfathomable, unfathomably powerful as all that was and is resurrection power is much greater. Raising Jesus from the dead was the greatest power display that ever happened on this earth because that paved the way for God to do the same thing for each one of us. Hallelujah. Resurrection power. Making something out of nothing is what makes God the Creator. But making life out of death is what makes Him our Redeemer. We're a fallen creation. We fell not because He didn't create us very well, because we're created in His image. But it's because in our own strength we can never make it it's time for the church to plug into a higher power. If we want to live the victorious life, living, experiencing all the promises of God, if we want to be able to conquer all the giants that we face, and we've got all these walled cities and barriers to overcome, think about this. There's no use to try to face that alone in our own power. We can't do that and succeed. I had a glove. And I lay the glove down. And I said, I've worn this glove many, 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 many days. And so let's see what it has learned. And I say, glove... Wave to the people. Nothing happens. I say, glove, pick up this microphone like I've always done. Nothing happens. So I slip my hand in the glove and I waved to the people and pick up the microphone. Now, wait a minute. It wasn't the glove, was it? It was what was in the glove. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. It's not about you and your ability. It's about your response to His ability. And He's there always, never to leave, never to forsake you, not even to the end of this world. With God working in us and through us, The Bible says we can do anything. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. Let's go to the next screen there in Philippians 4.13. It says, I can. Somebody say, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, we need to let God use us and give us the victory over giants, over obstacles, over things that come between us, and possessing the promises of God, all of them. Through obedience and faithfulness, you'll always have God on your side, and He'll fight your battles for you. We can't do it alone, but we don't have to fight alone. Resurrection power. Joshua said after three days we're going in. The last point that I have this morning on that. First is preparation. Then power. Not on our own power. But He has given us power over all the power of the enemy. The third one is... Possession, possession, this land, this promised land that you see. He said in verse 8 of Deuteronomy 1, See, I have set the land before you. These things were written for our example, right? Go in and take possession of the land that your Lord swore to you and your fathers to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them, and to their offspring after them, the promises, the promised land. Now, if you be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, what the scripture says this land, this promised land, you see, they were on the wrong side of the Jordan. The promises were on the other side of the Jordan. Some of the tribes became enamored with parking beside the river. But they were on the wrong side. That wasn't the promised land. They were what we call east-siders. You know what east-siders are. They're not moving on up. They're just staying on the wrong side of the river. Not just Egypt, not just the wilderness, not just the promised land, but now we have another category East Siders. Even in good Canaan land churches like ours. Sometimes a separation takes place just like happened in that land. Some people become satisfied with staying just where they are. Others have a vision to move forward. Those two groups, contrary to one another, Drift apart. East-siders settle for less than God's best. Settle for the way things are without reaching for all the promises of God. They've marched the football all the way down to the goalpost, And they allow the devil's stand to keep them out. I mean, with the promises of God in sight, they're satisfied, just sit down inches away from victory. It's easy for Christians to get into a comfort zone, am I right? It's easy. That's the easiest thing in the world. We like the way things are. We don't necessarily want to change anything. Amen. It's easy to get into a comfort zone and never reach the end zone. Oh, you say, "Well, we're better off than we were in Egypt. We're we're better off than in the wilderness." That's good enough. God's best is just a step away, but they don't take that step. I may not be totally on fire for God, they say, but I'm not exactly living in sin either. I'm not like all these uh, unsaved people. Can I tell you, we're not supposed to compare ourselves with the world or even to one another. We should always compare ourselves to Jesus, the Christ. He's our example. You can be as close to God as you want to be. Nobody is holding you back. You're the master of your fate, Spiritually speaking, you're in control. You know, it's not up to the devil... And really, it's not even up to God. Oh, He desires for you to be closer to Him, but that's entirely up to each one of us. He desires to give us all the promises, but that's entirely up to us. Don't be an east-sider. Don't settle for less than God's best. Nathan's coming back today, dismiss us with a song, but I want to say to you today, press forward to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Come on. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.